Then I want to uh, share my text, and then I want to I want to minister to Hannah a little bit. Hebrews 11, called the faith chapter of the Bible. Hebrews 11. I believe it's the lyrics of one of Fleetwood Mac's songs that says, everybody's looking for something, looking for something. So if my thought this morning had a title to it, it would be looking for something. My, my message this morning is very brief. It's a very brief word, and I feel like there's a point or two that I need to make. And, and uh, the sound crew is going to help me with a couple of things. But without faith, it is impossible Look at someone and say impossible. Impossible. But without faith, it's impossible. What does it say? It's impossible to do what? What translation is that? Guys, stay with the King James or we're going to die and go to hell with our back broke. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a, ready, a rewarder of them that diligently. Look at your neighbor and say that word. Say it with an attitude. Say it in Spanish. There you have it. But without faith, and we've learned early in life, that there are things that we have faith in. We have faith in Nickelodeon. We have faith in the phone. We have faith in the blender. We have faith in that, that light. We're not all sure about the amperage and the watts and the voltage, and, but we just know when we turn the, the switch on, we really believe that light's going to come on. We pick up that phone and dial that. that we really believe that phone's going to connect. And uh, that's what diligence is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Every single one of us, without exception, has been given a measure of faith. The Bible talks about faith as the size of a grain of a mustard seed. And I had a revelation Tuesday night as I was listening to Pastor Billy preach. It's not, it's not faith the size of a mustard seed that will move mountains. It's faith as a seed that's accurately planted, watered, fertilized, pruned. It's that faith that grows in us that gives us the ability to ask God to move mountains. You have faith in God, you can move dirt. You've got faith in God, you can move tribulation or persecution or distress. And it's faith in him. We understand that if we do the possible and we do everything we know to do, then God will do the impossible. Do I have a friend in the house that we, 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 we live that, we believe, we believe in faith. A lot of times there's challenges, there's frustration, there's trials. The song says, many dangers, toils, and snares. Can anybody relate? Uh, Perk Evans has been in our life for over 30 years. There was a season for three years. Pastor Rhonda and I traveled the nation and the world, and at different times, different ministries would come and, and, and help us. I remember Judy Jacobs was with us several times. Karen Wheaton was with us several times. Keith Dudley, Al Mango. But 30 years ago, Perk traveled with us, incredible, phenomenal voice, and he would sing, People Need the Lord. That was just, that was just his song, and he would sing, and people would be ministered to, and then, I, and then I would stand up and preach and minister. And we so much enjoyed that time together. Then we birthed the church, and we didn't see each other for a while, and then we found out about the, the um, appearance of Hannah, 
that all of a sudden there was a beautiful little blonde-haired little girl there, and and uh, and Perk was not a good dad. He was a great dad. He loved, loves his daughter, cared for his daughter. About a year ago, and I want to hand and know this, about a year ago when, when Perk and I were at the uh, Cleveland Billiard Club, whatever that place is, eating a, a bacon sandwich, um, Perk looked at me and he said, I, I think my liver is going to kill me. Perk's not a drinker. Uh, as a teenager, Perk has a challenge. There was some medication. We believe the medication affected the liver when he was very young. And so pretty much his whole life, and, and I can relate because I struggled with the bad colon for almost 35 years. Almost his whole life, he struggled with a liver that would not perform, that would not do what it needed to be done. There were supplements, and he struggled. Never complained, never fussed, he never moaned that I know of. And, uh, and when he told me that he felt like his liver was going to kill him, I said, Perk, are you ready to die? He said, yes, I am. I'm ready to die. I said, Okay. Then if you go to heaven before me, I told him two or three things I wanted him to do if he got there before me. <laughs> but I promise you right now, this is a prophetic statement. If heaven has a Wi-Fi, Perk Evans is plugged into it. And right now he's probably finding somebody to be their campaign manager. If heaven has elections, Perk Evans is going to win. He is going to win. It is uh, uh, Perk lost his dad in November. Hannah lost her grandfather in November so pray for a mom that's lost her son and her husband. You know, parents aren't supposed to outlive their children. That's not really what that's supposed to be. But I really do. Courtney posted yesterday, heaven is sweeter. And I really believe that. But it doesn't, it doesn't heal the hole in our heart. It doesn't heal the pain that we feel. And, you know, there, there's some things you never really get over. You just learn to live with it. And if you've lost, I remember my, my grandparents were so precious. And if I wanted to. I can have a good cry right now, just remembering all those moments they sowed into me. When I didn't believe in myself, they believed in me. And Hannah Perk sowed in you. He believed in you, and he probably wants you to get a scholarship playing golf, so we'll talk about that later. Hannah can whack that golf ball. And uh, we just we know, we know there is a heaven to gain, and we know that, that Perk is there. Yesterday evening, we had a really cool, uh, really cool time. Uh, we drove over the mountains of Pikeville, and I scared Pastor Rhonda. And uh, we got to uh, Julie's house, Julie's parents' house, and their, uh, Jeff and Julie became one in holy matrimony. And uh, we, we applaud them, we compliment them. And like, and like uh, Josh and Jackie, I want them to have many children for church growth purposes. Matter of fact, I would care if everybody that's married would get pregnant. And uh, that way we could double our church in nine months. How cool. We, we could tell the band of the fastest growing church. In t- we doubled our church in, in 10 months. Would that not be? And we're, we're speaking twins to court and your quadruplets, whatever angel can, can afford. Go ahead and give a Lord. Um, very good report this week. As most of you know, Courtney survived open heart surgery when she was nine weeks old. And doctors had a death report. She wouldn't recover. She wouldn't survive. She'd be in medicine. She wouldn't be like a normal child. And all the things, and I appreciate doctors, that's just a fact. That's not truth. Facts change. Truth does not. And God has blessed her and strengthened her, and she's had a blast. And uh, when she was, found out she was pregnant, the doctor told her probably going to have to see a C-section because of the strain on your heart. So Courtney was all relieved that she'd have to push. She said, all the horrible things that happen, don't touch me <laughs> when, you, uh, when you give birth. And, uh, but then she found out Friday that her heart was strong enough to do a natural birth, and so that, that is really, 
that is really a miracle, and that's con contradictory of the word that she received 28 years ago, that she wouldn't be able to birth children. She wouldn't have children naturally. So God is a, faith, a faithful God. But I believe that faith in God allows us to be rewarded. And the very brief message that I have this morning is based upon people who have found what they're looking for. But nine times out of ten, the illustrations I have this morning, nine times out of ten, it's usually a bad thing or a tragedy or a battle or a negative or a financial or physical collapse. It seems like that when things get the darkest for us, God gets the brightest and appears and ministers. When we are in a storm, it's almost like that song that says, I know the master of the wind. I understand this storm is going to pass. Look at somebody who say, this storm is going to pass. There's no such thing as an eternal storm. Storms come and storms go, but faith and trust in God. And you know, when you think about faith in God, and you think about the commitment that you've made to actually think that one day after death, you're going to be resurrected and transform and translate it into heaven and live forever because you put your faith in the man called Jesus. I mean, that is a leap of faith. That is a leap of faith. So many religions try to find different ways to God or different ways to nirvana or different ways to that utopia, not, not acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And when you put your, when you put your faith and your trust in that name, that's eternally secure. You, 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 you become a candidate to be eternally secure. And what a name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So faith... If we, if we can have faith in the Lord, then why can't we have faith in his father? Right. Just a thought. I remember the same doctor that told my mom that she was dying of colon cancer is the same doctor three months later that told my mom she didn't have colon cancer. And mom was struggling that, yes, give the Lord a hand. What a, what a, it, was, it was a miracle. And mom was struggling with the fact that she was healed and she was still having some symptoms. How many knows the enemy can put symptoms on you even after you're healed? How many knows the enemy can put pressure on you even after you're delivered? How many knows the enemy can put doubt upon you even though you just had a great miracle? And so mom was struggling with all of that. And, and uh, mom is so cool. Everything she watches on TV, she gets. <laughs> if it's dementia, she gets dementia. You know, if it's, if it's the, if it, I, I'll, I'll stop right there because she could actually get this tape and I could really get in bad trouble. And I told her, I said, Mom, the same doctor that told you you had cancer is the same doctor that told you that you didn't. Okay, you believe the negative report, but you have a tough time believing the positive report. And I think sometimes we, are, we, we have such a tendency to believe the negative, but ignore the positive. And we understand all the things God has spoken over us and all the things that God has promised us. If you weren't here Wednesday night, I talked about the sevenfold, the thirtyfold, the sixtyfold, and the hundredfold. And something about just, just the sevenfold, it doesn't mean seven times. So if you sow one thing, that doesn't mean you're getting seven things back. It's a sevenfold. You fold that blessing seven times and you get 128 in, in, in return of the one you sowed. I mean, what a God, what a, what a one equation. And if you try to work it out to a 30-fold, your computer does not have enough zeros on it to calculate it. And if you go a hundredfold, some of you, if you sew a smile correctly, listen, if you brush your teeth before you came to church and you didn't get an egg McMuffin, turn to your neighbor, give him a Colgate, 
I don't think we have any evident smiles in the building. Okay, smile at them. Smile if you want. If if they belong to you, give them a little kiss. You know what? If you sow a smile and a kiss correctly, you'll reap a hundred. You, you're going to have to live forever just to get your smiles back, just to get all the seed that you planted there. You sow in the life of a prophet, the life of an evangelist, life of a pastor. The Bible promises 30, 60, 100 fold. What an incredible God that we serve. But a lot of times it's so easy to listen to the negative and ignore the positive. Can anybody relate? I mean, it does not matter. And I don't know if doctors are just bent that way or nurses are bent that way. But you ever notice a new product advertised on TV? And let's do the Lipitor. I guess that would be just about as good as any other. Okay, so they show this happy-go-lucky couple they're holding hands they're they're pitching woo they're they're having fun and they're they're talking about how Lipitor changes life and did this did that then they tell you yeah. there is a possibility if you take this medicine you're going to lose your eyebrow hair <laughs> I mean they have such a long list of bad things that can happen to you and you think to yourself why in the world would I take this medication if, I, if all these things, I don't want to get nauseated. I don't want this, this, and this. I don't want that to happen. I'm just, so, but that's kind of the way of the world. I had someone very, very close to me and someone very, very important in my life. I won't tell you who it's not important, but someone very, very close to me last week told me that my best days had come and gone. And so I, I, I thought about that for a minute and I just began to think about the things that God has done. And it was like, I felt like, really? My best days have come and gone? It's called turning 60. You know, I, I know that you're, you're 40 and fabulous. You're 50 and reflective. You're 60 and senile. But Pastor Rhonda prophesied 60 and sexy. I thought that was a great prophecy. And yesterday for my birthday, by the way, October 28th, October. Yesterday for my birthday, she bought me this beautiful shirt, this beautiful jacket. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Because, because she thinks this makes me look sexy. But, but I got to thinking about, I got to thinking about what mom had said. Oh, oops, did I say mom just then? <laughs> Woo! Make sure we destroy this tape immediately. Do not let it go in anybody's head. But I got to thinking about the past 34 years of ministry. I got to thinking about 35 years of being drug free. And I got to thinking about the different states, the different countries, the different opportunities. Our story was featured in Charisma Magazine, 1998. Our story is told in the third chapter of Joni's book, Surrender All, that made the, the, new, the new York bestseller week for several, several weeks. I think about not just the hundreds now, but the thousands of times that we have touched Daystar and we've touched the countries of the world, the times that we've been on TBN, how they continually replay our, our testimony. Don't even tell us, we don't know it, they, they play it. So I got to think, you know what? The, the, the past has not been that bad. I mean, really, it really has been a, a pretty good, a pretty good, a pretty good role. And, uh, but I got to thinking, my best days have come and gone. Well, then I think about the joy of being a grandfather. Ron and Sonia, I told the babies, they're going to have to call me Sir Papa. I don't want to call D, Daddy, Gramps, Grampy, Poppy, none of that stuff. I want to call Sir Papa. And little Bailey has almost got it. It's almost got it. She calls me Mr. Papa. So we're, 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 we're close out of there. But then I, I think about the joy of having grandchildren, nurturing them, spoiling them rotten, and then sending them home at 10 o'clock in the evening back to their parents, so full of chocolate and so full of caffeine, they're bouncing off the walls. And my, my kids will realize 
Dad, I must have done something to Dad to get this kind of payback, and that's exactly what they're getting is payback. But, and then I think about the prophetic words that have been spoken over us. I remember the last time that Phil Driscoll was here, for 20 minutes he prophesied over Pastor Ron and I. I remember just a few weeks ago Pastor Billy calling and prophesying some things over us. And, but, you know, if you're not careful, you'll allow the words of those you love and care about to deflect you and to hinder you. And if you're not careful, you'll start believing people that you love. And that's why it's so important if you love somebody, be very careful what you speak in life, what you say in life. And if you're going to speak anything at all, speak prophetically, speak blessing, speak favor, speak they're going to, they're going to, they're going to reap and not sow. They're going to harvest without planting, that good things are coming to their life. As I begin to look at this word diligent, the word diligent means steady or constant. And then it had a word called assiduous. I did not know what that word meant. So I looked it up, and assiduous simply means hard working. Diligence means hard working. I learned Monday night, you work your faith. You work it. You need a miracle, you start reading all the scriptures about miracles. You need a miracle, you get your CD that has all healing scriptures. You need a miracle, you start buying books and reading about miracles. You need a miracle, you look through God's word and see what God's word has to say about getting a miracle. And then you start little by little exercising that authority that God has given you, that small, that small mustard seed. You plant, you water, you fertilize it. And all of a sudden, things begin to grow and things begin to appear. And then next thing you know, you're a little bolder than you were yesterday. And then you're a little bolder tomorrow than you were today. Then all of a sudden, you start, you start following nudges. Right. How many of what a nudge is? Just something. Some, last night, we were hit. And I've learned. I have learned to follow my hunches. I've learned to follow my nudges. There's usually a reason for that. Last night, we were headed down, down, the, down the mountain to Dayton and, and Pikeville. And Pastor Rhonda says something about the curling iron. I said, what, what, what do you think? She goes, I don't, think it's, I don't think we unplugged it. And I said, well, I think we, we should do something about that. And she said, I think you're right. So we called Courtney. She delegated to Angel. Angel came over and, and unplugged the curling iron. What, what's that all about? There have been times when the, the plane was supposed to fly, and I didn't get on it. Something told me, don't get on this plane. Did it ever crash or burn? No. But it might have if I had been on there. I mean, the devil, the, Paula White said, the enemy's not trying to take me down. He's trying to take me out, trying to kill him because he hates the words that, that, that God speaks to me. He hates the words that God speaks to you. So you begin to work your faith. And I'm not talking about positive confession, positive confession that's idiotic. I mean, if you've got a fever of 101 and green stuff's flowing down your nose, you probably have a cold. And for you to look at an, an unbeliever and say, I'm not sick in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, there is. You got 101 fever and you got some kind of junk in your system. It's okay to acknowledge, hey, I, I got something going, going here, but you know what? God told me he was wounded for my transgressions. He's risen to dig the chastisement upon him with his stripe. I mean, you start quoting scripture and you start speaking, what does the word have to say about your sickness? What does the word have to say about your storm? And as you begin to quote what the word has to say, Things begin to change in your life. Hebrews 1 and 3, you don't have to go there. But it says, by faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. That things that appear, things that are seen are not made of those things which do appear. In other words, everything that we see in our, in our ability to, to ponder and, and, and evaluate, everything we see started as nothing. How crazy is that? But it's, it just follows true with what God is and what God does. 
Somewhere in Isaiah, it says that the Holy One came from Teman. Teman is a place in the wilderness where it's utterly uh, devastating. It's, just a, it's a place, that the, the prophets described it as a place of nothingness. Can anybody relate ever being in a place of nothingness? That's where God was. And that is so, that is so crazy because the God from nowhere stepped out on nothing spoke to nothing, commanded it to be something, then he threw it out in the middle of nowhere and told it to hang there until further notice. Then the guy from nowhere stepped out on nothing, spoke to nothing, called it to be something and threw it just the right distance from the earth. An inch closer, we would fry. An inch farther, we would freeze. And he threw that sun out there. And then the God from nowhere began to step on nothing, began to speak to stars, began to the, the animal life, the plant life, the ocean life, with absolutely nothing. So we know the worlds were framed by the word of God. So what we are and what we become determines upon what God has spoken over us or what God has declared over us or what we have spoken, declared over ourselves. And I want, I, I, this, this, this word that God gave me last, last Wednesday when I was alone in the cabin, scared of the guests, I heard creaking noises. I, I said, well, Lord, I need a word. So the Lord began to show me some things about seeking his face. And when I think about seeking the face of the Lord and I look at so many great men and women of God that in the Bible saw his face. But usually every time they saw his face, it was in a time of a calamity or a storm or a negative. The only time I can find anybody seeking God's face that there was a positive that was Adam and Eve before the fall. And every evening they would go into the garden and the Bible says that God's voice would walk with them in the garden. How cool was that? No terror, no panic, no fear, no worry, no tribulation. But all of a sudden there is a shift. And Genesis 6, 1 says the whole world was evil, that man did that which was right in his own eyes. And God said to Noah, I want you to build a boat. I want you to just be faithful. I want you, here's what I want you to do. And so Noah, in the time when God felt like that he would wipe out the world and destroy the world, I would say that was a time of calamity. I would say that was a time of trouble. All of a sudden, God speaks to Noah and tells him to build a boat, spares his family, and all of us are children of Noah through Ham, Shem, or Japheth. How crazy is that? Then I look at the life of Abraham. And, and Abraham and, and Sarah are doing their own thing. God shows up, eats breakfast with them and says, by the way, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know the story. Abraham interceded. God didn't spare the city, but God spared the life of Lot. It's amazing how sometimes when bad things happen to good people, good people know how to call upon a good God and say, these might be facts, but facts change. Truth does not change. I look at the life of Jacob. We know that Jacob laid down, had a dream, saw an angel, wrestled with the angel. But the reason that Jacob wrestled with the angel is he was ready to meet Esau, who Esau had his birthright stolen by Jacob, hated Jacob's guts, and was probably going to kill him. But something happened when Isaiah got to, ja got to ja when Esau got to Jacob, there was favor. They, they hugged, they reunited, and God healed their relationship. I think about the, the, the attitude of Isaiah. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also Lord Isaiah. Uzziah was his uncle. He was, he, was a, he, was a, he was a number one blessed child. His uncle dies, and he finds himself no favor, but he gets his eyes back on God, and we know what he sees. I think about the life of Moses. Moses, 40 years, blessed, favored, then 40 years in the wilderness. All of a sudden, he sees this burning bush, and the reason he sees the burning bush is because Egypt is throwing all the baby Hebrew male children into the river, and the crocodiles are eating them. And then I think about Job. When I think about Job, when he loses, his, he loses his oxen, his sheep, his camels, 
his family, his health. He is at rock bottom. And you know what Job says? After God reveals Leviathan and says, the devil is causing all of this, Job said, I've heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. How crazy is that? By faith, when Abel was murdered, he had such a testimony with God that his blood had the ability to cry out and get the attention of God as the blood of Jesus had the ability to cry out from Calvary and get the attention of God. Every one of these saw God at a time when there was a storm in his life. I think about Jeremiah. We quote that 2911. Everybody loves it. That's like the youth's favorite scripture. I know the plans you have for me. Everybody loves verse 11, but nobody wants to memorize verse 12 and 13. And ye shall call him, and I will answer thee, and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And ye shall seek me and find me. There's that word seek. When you search for me with all of your heart. So I got to thinking about what am I seeking with all of my heart? Well, I just, I got to be basic because that's the way I roll. Every morning I seek the caffeine spirit. Yes. Yes. Help me. Yes. I, will, I will do whatever it takes to get that cup of coffee. And if I'm out of coffee, that's not usually a good morning, but I'll go before I brush my teeth, comb my hair. I'll go to the convenience store. They've seen me every which way. It doesn't scare them. And I'll get the tall coffee that can last, right, that can last all morning long. So, so obviously every morning I seek the, the God of caffeine. And I, and I know nobody in here can relate to that. I know that. And, you know, I've, we, Pastor Ron, have, we've had so much fun with that because we are like, like ships passing in the night. I usually hit the coffee pot first. And then she comes down. The, she gets up before me, but she does it to tea later. So we, we don't grunt. We don't wave. We don't high five. We don't, we don't do anything. You know, get away. Let me, and like yesterday morning, she said, I'll wait till you have your coffee. I want to read you something to somebody. Have posted. So we have learned one another. We have learned the diligence. If you are a, a deer hunter or a bass fisherman, you'll know that you will go to certain lakes with certain baits. You go to certain food plots with certain weapons, and there you will seek out, and you, and, and you will hunt. There's something to it. That Friday after Thanksgiving, I guess, people go to the mall at 4 or 5 o'clock. Some people stood, when, when, the, when the iPhone 6 came out, where, where it was being released, some people stood in, not in line 4, four o'clock the afternoon, the afternoon before and spent the night on the sidewalk. How crazy is that? When I, think, when I think about the things that we will seek and the things that we will pursue, and that's all God's word is saying. If you'll seek me the same way you seek a cup of coffee, right. if you'll seek me the same way you, you, you seek out a dress on sale, if you seek me the same way you seek toys or clothes for your kid, if, if you'll seek me that way, you're going to find me. And I'm going to show you great and mighty things which no, it's not. So something happened. There's a transition of in the storm, God is there. When the storm comes, the eagle knows right where the sun was at. The cloud come in, he blows right towards, the, right towards the sun. And that's exactly how God relates to us. He knows the storms are coming, but he is a friend that sticketh close than a brother. He'll never leave us or forsake us, even until the end of time. Pastor Ron quoted that Wednesday night. So there is a God, there, there's a God that's faithful. I think about Paul. And you guys know I've, I've wore this story out, but obviously they're on a ship headed to a port. The sailors wanted to go to that port because it had better wine, better women, better song. That was a, it was a carnal motivation that sent them to that port. Paul said, we shouldn't go. This is not, this is God. God said, don't go. They go anyway. The sun had not shined for many days. The storm had come. They threw all the tackle off. They threw everything off the boat. Paul said, there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord 
whose I am, whose I serve, and who I believe. He belongs, we belong to him, we serve him, we believe him. And God spoke to Paul, but notice it was a storm that got the attention of, of God. And it was a storm that got, brought God's presence and God's voice to Paul later, or let me rephrase it, earlier in life when Paul was a punk, licensed by the government to murder, and he murdered hundreds of Christians. We don't know how many, how many he captured, how many we, we murdered, but he was headed to another town to murder and to bring mayhem and hurt wounds. God interrupts Paul's, Paul's journey, and Paul sees God. He sees a bright light. He's blinded to see it for several days. And you know the rest of the story. God calls him, and God thrusts him to a ministry that today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Do I have a, anybody in the house that can relate to what I'm talking about? Then I think about little, little Mary. I think about, I don't know that there was a crisis in her life, I don't, but just, just being a teenager. My Lord, when I think back on my teen, Pastor Ron and I were talking last night, you know, what, 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 time, what, what time in your life would you like to go back to and hang there just a little while and just chill? I'm not talking about staying there. I'm just saying, well, when I think about, when I think about teenagers, I think about pimples. And I think about, you know, you're so uncertain about, you know, the, the girls and so uncertain about, you know, that's not really a window that I'd like to step back into. Am I helping anybody in this place at all? <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at Proverbs 30 and 25, do we have that, guys? Let me finish the thought with Mary. Teenager. God spoke to her. She said, be it according to thy word. You know the story. She is with child. She gets pregnant. She has the baby. But somewhere around the age of maybe just a couple of weeks old, God speaks to Joseph in a dream and says what? Move the child. This, this, this city, this nation is going to kill this baby. I want you to move the child. So Joseph and Mary packed up everything on a few camels, and they went to Egypt for several years until Herod that was trying to kill him was dead. The new agenda was not to kill Christ, so they came back, and you know the rest of the story. You know, when I think about, when I think about little Mary and little Joseph, I kind of think about our youth group and, and where they are compared to where I was. When, when, when I grew up in church, I worshipped my, my parents' God. It was their God. It was their church. It was their music. It was whatever they wanted me to do, I did. Went to church four times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday and Friday. Usually mom and dad would clean the church, so we were at the church usually all day Saturday. So I literally grew up around the things of God, but I didn't have my own relationship with God. Can anybody relate? I played trumpet my uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth in, in, in grade school and in, in junior high school. I played the trumpet in, in church until we got two more trumpet players. Then I went to the French horn, and we got a French horn player. Oh, that's crazy. I got me a guitar. I was going to be a jukebox hero. And I, and I had a fuzz wall. And they would sing, when we all get to heaven. I, I, mean, I love those. Great. Then our church actually got two or three very good guitars. So I laid that down and learned about the bass. I started playing the bass. Then our church gets this, I mean, hot dog, country western, playing bars, got saved and got delivered. So he's over here on the bass. So I'm thinking, what now? And dad said, I'll buy you an organ. So if you'll, I took piano lessons when I was younger, but I was so bad, my piano teacher would fall asleep during the lesson. I promise you, she would fall asleep during the lesson. 
And I told mom and dad I was going to go to church and practice. I didn't practice. I was scraping the gum off the bottom of the pews and chewing the gum. That's what I was doing. You say you cut your teeth on pews. I cut my teeth on member's gum. And so, and so, when, so then all of a sudden we get an organ. I start playing the organ. Okay, dad wins this couple to the Lord. They start coming to church. Guess what? She plays the organ. So I got bumped from everything there was. And I said, surely no one, no one will play the harmonica. No one will play the harmonica. The bad thing about church music, it was usually B flat and there was no B flat harmonica. I know that means nothing. in So then I got a kazoo and one of the ushers told me to put my kazoo back in my pocket or he was going to. He was going to do something with that kazoo. He wasn't even saved long. He was just kind of a new convert. And so, so you know, then I, then, I, then, I, then I go to college, and, then I, and, I, and I step into the world of drugs and alcohol. So I really never journaled. I, I really never had devotions. I never really knew. I never really knew God. Even though I went to church, I worked with youth, there was stuff I did. As far as there was no intimacy, there was no relationship until Rhonda walked out of my life. Then all of a sudden, my face hit the floor. And I begin to weep. I begin to cry. I begin to, I begin to speak positive. I begin to memorize scripture in the Bible. I begin to study the word of God. And, and you say, so it took a tragedy to bring you back to God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's sometimes kind of the way that God rolls. When I look at, are we at Proverbs 4 and 20? Does it say something about the ants? Does it say that the ants without a leader gather their meat for the summer? Is that what that says? And Proverbs, and Proverbs 6 and 6 says, consider the ant, you sluggard, that goes to work every day. When, when, you, think about, when you think about the animal kingdom and the in, insect kingdom that God has set up, do you ever notice a fly that refused to fly? Do you ever notice a bug that refused to crawl? Do you ever know an ant that refused to build a... I mean, what is so crazy, our whole world is a world of motion. And those of you that think that you don't do a whole lot in, in, in life, every 24 hours, our earth circles at 167,000 miles an hour. Every day, this entire galaxy travels through other galaxies at the speed of 60,000 miles an hour. That's in a day. So whether you have done absolutely nothing or, uh, that you know of, you've traveled 1,599,182 miles every day of your life just sitting here. How crazy is that? He's a God of motivation. He's a God of action. He's a God of doing. The Bible says be doers of the word, not just hear the word, but, but, be, but be doers of the word. And I, th I thought about how crazy it is that every day we get a miracle and don't even realize it. I wonder if God, before the moon comes up, says, okay, moon, do it again. I wonder if, 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 if every day just an encore of day four when he created the sun. I'm, I, mean, I mean, go there with me. Just to, the fact that we're traveling at the speed that we're traveling, the fact that we never get close to the sun or farther to the sun, when you think about all of that, Every day that you live is a miracle. Maybe that's why David said, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I read a story. Your aunt made fun of my glasses yesterday, Hannah. She said they were old men glasses. I was going to get even with her today, but she is not here. Chris Vernon will enjoy this story. January 2007, 
a violinist by the name of Joshua Bell, played for 45 minutes Johann Sebastian Bach's concertos on a $3.5 million violin. Stradivarius, how you say that, Chris? Stradivarius, that too. Two days earlier, he had played in a symphony hall where the tickets were $200 in the nosebleed section. That 45 minutes he played in the front of Grand Central Station, 1,097 people passed him by. Only seven stopped to listen. His total take, he put a little bag out, his total take was $32.17. Someone recognized him and put in a $20 bill. So his total take was $32.17. Think about this for a minute. The finest musician playing the finest music on the finest instrument, and a thousand people didn't have time to stop and appreciate that art, artist, that, that beauty, that, that awesomeness. And we think about, we think about that, and we kind of register that, but then an even greater miracle this morning, when I opened up my window and looked out, there was a hummingbird. I mean, going, I mean, dart here, dart there, dart here, dart there. Not just a hummingbird, but a bumblebee. And I thought about, you know, and, and you've heard me say it, it's aerodynamically impossible for a bumblebee or a hummingbird to fly because of the weight of their body in relationship to the wings is too, is too mad. But it does it anyway. I think about every day the miracles that God allows us to experience and things that we miss. I don't remember, and, and, and Pastor Ron, it may, have, it may have been with you, but the first time that I observed the Niagara Falls, I was speechless, which probably some of you don't believe, but I had, I had absolutely nothing to say when I saw that horseshoe fall falling over at however many gallons per second, and I saw that river, and it runs that power plant, and it, it gives Toronto most of its electricity. I, I just thought how awesome that was. I remember we were traveling back and forth across the nation. Dad would never stop to see the Grand Canyon. So one of the first things I did when we traveled, I stopped to see the Grand Canyon. And let me tell you something. You've heard of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's the whole of holes. I'm telling you, there's no, I'm telling you, it's like, you look at it and, and, and you, you, you're, you're, you don't, you don't, there's not a thing you can say. There's not a, I remember as a, as a surfer in California, a storm came in, my first 12 foot wave, I remember, and I choked, I chose a, it's a horrible wave, I got hurt real bad, got tossed around and beat up, but I went right back because there was a 11 foot wave right behind it. And it's like, you know, you, 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 you look at the waterfalls of Waimea, or you look, at, you look at the Niagara Falls, or you look at a bumblebee, or you look at all that, and, and you realize to yourself how incredible and how phenomenal God really is. Proverbs 4. I want to conclude with that. Had a real bad phone call Thursday. Someone that I love very much is married to someone that I love very much. And it does not look like their marriage is going to last. She was crying. I was talking and praying. And I had not read this scripture in a day, a week, a month. I'm not, I'm not, it hasn't been ever before me. But for some reason, I told her to go to Proverbs 4, verse 20.
My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Now watch this. Do not let them, do not let what? His words. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Solomon is instructing us here. Find the word. Speak the word. Look at the word. And know whatever the word speaks, says it's going to do. And I conclude with the scripture I probably should have started with. Sunday morning, I messed around a little bit in politics. I probably shouldn't have. I said Jesus was Republican. After, after the service, a uh, scholar, that's the one I described him, retired scholar, several doctorates, school teacher for 30 years, he asked the pastor if he could visit with me. And I, I told Pastor Ron this. I said, absolutely. So we go and sit down in the office. And he said, he said, first of all, to clarify what I, sh- what I want to share with you, you need to know who I am and, and where I've been and what I've done. So he's talk, talking about, the scholar, about, about all the doctorates he had and all the classes he had taught at college le- level, 30 years, all that. So in other words, he qualified himself to share what he was about to share because he because he knew what he was talking about. He said, today, as, as you were speaking, so I just want you to know you're spot on. I, I don't know that word. Is that an English word, spot on? I had to look it up. I didn't know what spot on meant. I know it's a bad thing. Is that bad to have spots on me? But it, it turned out to be, a, he said, you're spot on what's about to happen. He said, our nation is headed to one world government, one world currency. And I, I personally believe that for, for what it's worth, Mr. Obama's mom is a Jew. Mr. Obama's dad is a Muslim. That makes him half Jew. That would qualify him to be the false prophet. Whether I'm not saying he's a false prophet. I'm just saying it seemed like the pieces now are in place. But here's what he, here's what he revealed to me. He said, Mr., since Mr. Obama has been in office, he's not referred to the United States of America one time. The United States has boundaries. The United States has a constitution. The United States has laws. America has no boundaries. It has no constitution. It has no laws. And the reason Mr. Obama allowed 180,000 indigents, illegals to enter our country, because he does not see the boundaries that we see. He does not see that. We're at a place right now where it seems like the powers that be are trying to bankrupt this nation and devastate it to such a degree that Wells Fargo, which is owned by China, I don't know if you knew that or not, China owns 52% of Wells Fargo. If China calls the debt due, if they call the debt due, we don't have it. It's not in our reserves. It's not in our silver. It's not in our gold. It's not. We don't have it. And a China calls the debt due, and we don't pay it, there's no telling where we could go from there. So anyway, that was just a little politics that I messed around with Sunday morning. 
But here's what I want to share with you. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal what? Their land. What a powerful promise that God has had. And if we, the church, the world is not going to pray. The government is not going to pray. We, as the little ants that are busy without a leader, if we as little ants do not make a note and make a season, make a time and make an effort to pray, we could be in trouble. But aren't you glad that God gives us that promise? No matter it's this bad, if you do this, I'll turn around. When God told the man of God to tell the king he was going to be dead, the, man, the king turned his face towards the wall, called out to God, and God extended his life 14 years. I believe that's where America's at. I believe there could be extension of time for revival to touch this nation, where I believe if we continue to accelerate the way that we're going this time next year, I don't know about all the blood moon, I haven't read the book, but this time next year, we're going to be, we're going to be catastrophically right on the verge of being completely broke. Our children will never be able to pay the debt. You know why? They're all on food stamps. Mm 